Hello and welcome to the Highway to Health show. In this episode, I am joined by Renee Jones. Renee spent 40 years yo-yo dieting before she finally overcame her emotional eating to lose the weight and keep it off for almost a decade now. Renee and I recorded this interview last year, and I think that this is a perfect time to release it because as the world is shaken by this coronavirus pandemic, many of us are staying at home and resorting to emotional eating, and this is not the time to be abusing these comfort foods. We need, now more than ever, to be vigilant about the food we put in our bodies and the food-like substances we need to avoid in order to develop a strong and healthy immune system. Before we go on to today's episode, though, I want to remind you that this show is a labor of love, which I do in my spare time. My day job is running a company where we help doctors and other practicing health professionals become better entrepreneurs, allowing them to serve more patients and provide a better life for their families. If you are a health professional or you know of a doctor, dentist, nurse practitioner, chiropractor, or any other practicing doctor who deserves to be doing better in business, check out pgformula.com. This episode is sponsored and produced by podcastinabox.co. I remember when I first launched this podcast, I had been thinking about doing it for years. I had read two books on the subject and signed up for an online course, and I still did not launch a podcast. You see, back then, I was still running a busy stem cell practice, and so it was hard to find the time to start and maintain a new project like this podcast, which is where Podcast in a Box comes in. The team at Podcast in a Box handles everything, and I mean everything that has to do with planning, launching, editing, publishing, and marketing a podcast. Because podcasting for business is not just about buying a microphone and rambling on. There is so much more than that. If you are a doctor, lawyer, accountant, business owner, or anyone looking to build a personal brand to instill trust in your clients so they will want to buy your products or services, but you don't have the time or desire to learn the technical side of podcasting, Podcast in a Box might be right for you. To find out more and see if your idea is worthy of a podcast, just head on over to podcastinabox.co and click on the appropriate button. When prompted, make sure to mention Dr. E's Highwood Health Show in the How Did You Hear About Us section. But I don't want to keep you any longer. Here is my conversation with Renee Jones. And remember, you are on the Highwood Health and I'm your guide to get you there. Are you ready to live ageless? Want to discover alternative health choices, cutting edge nutrition, and fitness for the entire family? Welcome to Highway to Health Show with your host, Dr. E, the stem cell guy, where Dr. E helps you live ageless. And now, here's your host, Dr. E. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Highway to Health Show. Sitting in front of me right now, at least virtually, is a lady who's done something we all are very familiar with, which is yo-yo dieting. So, Renee, welcome to the Hyota Health Show. Thank you for having me. Not a problem. Why don't you share with us a little bit about this whole journey that you've been on? Well, I started my first diet when I was 10. So I spent 40 years on the diet yo-yo. And my mother had great intentions. She thought if we got it sorted out, then we'd be set, right? Unfortunately, she wasn't very good at dieting and neither was I. So it was like, okay, let's try this one. Okay, let's try this one. Okay, let's try this one. And it just perpetuated itself for 40 years. And when I was staring down my 50th birthday in 2012, I thought things change for women. 
after 40. If I don't get it done now, I'm never going to get it done. So my New Year's resolution, again, (laughs) always my New Year's resolution was lose weight. And I started out in January and did really well for a couple of weeks. And then in February, I started again and March. And by April, I needed a bigger size. And I was mortified because I hadn't been that size in years. <sighs> so I, I got back on the computer to do some research. And I found this piece of advice. I thought, well, that's stupid. And it was only eat when you are hungry. And I thought, if I could do that, I wouldn't need a diet. Now, would I? So I looked through some more things and I thought, okay, it's the emotional eating. That's my thing. So I had to find a way to overcome that. And the May to October was an exercise in that. And I used a colleague to help me stay accountable. And the week before my 50th birthday, I got to my goal weight. And my seventh traversary is coming up in October. Wow, that's great. Now, you mentioned that you started dieting at age 10. Mm. What made you start dieting? Were you very overweight or was it just something that they did in your family? Something that I've found is very common in certain families is just dieting. And everyone is constantly worried about their weight. And so they are constantly on a diet. Was this the case or did you have like a real you know, need to lose weight? Well, we have to remember that sizes have changed a lot. This was the early 70s. I think Twiggy had just maybe come on the scene. But I was 70s fat, okay, not 2010 fat, okay, right? I so I was overweight, probably 25, 30 pounds, maybe. Or well, I was only 10, so what would that be? <laughs> it was proportional, but I was definitely in a bigger size than all the rest of my friends. I see. So it was okay, let's stop this before it gets started. I think my mother thought, you know, if she does it, she'll hold me accountable, okay. And unfortunately, neither one of us was very good at that. What was the case? What was the reason for your mom to be dieting? Was she also struggling with weight? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And that entire side of the family struggled with weight. I mean, it was the family name was Broadway. And I think that probably tells the tale. (laughs) Exactly. Okay. And so you mentioned that you were yo-yo dieting. In order to do yo-yo dieting, it means that you are actually losing some weight. And before you put it back on, right? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. how much, like how big of a yo-yo was this? Did you ever get to your like goal weight or were you still far off from it? How did that whole thing work? Well, I did the two, five, 10 pounds a lot. I lost 20 or 30 pounds a couple of times. I remember being at this weight twice before, once on the way up and once for my wedding. And then it just rocketed off. I was probably maybe at my worst, about 40 pounds overweight. Okay. So it it was never huge. But again, I had been dieting all my life. I think sometime in the 80s or 90s, we kind of lost our vision of how much we allow ourselves to get overweight. And I think that's why we have the morbidly obese issue that we currently have, because people just decide everybody's heavy. Let's just let it go. (laughs) 
Exactly. And, well, they did. and it is funny that you bring it up because quite a while ago, when we arrived here in Spain, we used to live in California. And before that in Cancun, where you know, I'm originally from Mexico, my wife's from Spain, moved to California for work. And then once that finished, we decided to spend a couple of months here in Spain, right? And when we got here, it was just the beginning of summer and we're down south. So we're right by the beach. And somebody was mentioning or somebody brought up, we went to this restaurant and they had this photograph there of that exact same beach back in the 70s. You did not see obese or overweight people. I mean, of course, I'm not saying that everyone was ripped and had a six pack, right? But you did not see overweight people. And today, and I'm not talking about America because everybody says like, yeah, sure, America, they're all obese, but that's just an American. No, no, no. I'm talking here in Spain. And you go to that same beach right now and at the beginning of summer, and you saw how most people have a certain degree of being overweight, either overweight or just plain obese. So it has changed a lot. I think we've accepted that weight, that creeping weight, and nobody really likes it, but it is something that has become acceptable, right? Mm. Well, I think, you know, as we have tried to become more sensitive and politically correct and all of that sort of thing, it has taken some of the stigma away. And it's good to be accepting of people. Certainly, it's good to be accepting of people. But when we allow ourselves to just say, okay, you have to accept me no matter what I do, it tends to take the parameters off. And when, you know, in this country, of course, there's a fast food place everywhere and you can't even go to the hardware store without there being snacks ready for that impulse buy. And, you know, the sodas that are liters, yeah. <laughs> we've just sort of abandoned our sense of what's really healthy for us. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree with you when you talk about sizes. And one of the things that I remember when my wife, when she first moved to Mexico, because we met many years ago when we were both working abroad. And when she first moved to Mexico, because Mexico is very Americanized in the end, it's closer to in behaviors and what you see there. It's actually closer to what you would experience in the US than what you experience in Europe, obviously. You go to restaurant, portions are larger, and you go to a convenience store and you see all these different junk foods out there, large sizes, like you very well explained, and people buy gallons of soda, and it's just regular, right? And she mentioned that, and she said, wow, this is big, right? And fast forward a couple of years later, then we moved to California. We spent there about a year. And now we moved here to Spain. And one of the things that we started noticing is like, meals are so small here. Yes. <laughs> no, it's just that we've gotten <laughs> used again to these gigantic meals. So it is something that we need to be aware of, I think, as a society. And another very important point that you made is this whole thing of what they call fat shaming. And it's not fat shaming because I have to compare completely and absolutely agree with you in terms of you're not going to not respect someone, you're not going to think less of them, you're not going to do all that. But from there to celebrating obesity and being overweight by choice is just tremendously wrong. And I think we need to take a stance against that. It's unhealthy. You know, it's not going to do your body any good to carry that extra weight. Because I think it's something like every pound extra you carry on your body puts like four pounds of pressure on your joints. That's a lot. Yeah. And what I tell people all the time is, you know what? You don't think it's a big deal, those five extra pounds. And they say, well, it's just five pounds. I said, great. Grab a backpack, put five pounds in it and carry it around all day. Mm. 
exhausting. Just a few hours later, they're going to go like, oh my God, this is so heavy. Like, well, that's exactly the exact same thing that you're doing to your body. And then you wonder why your knees hurt, why your back hurt, why you're so tired at the end of the day. Like, well, you're carrying, literally carrying all of this weight. Yeah. And all the baggage that goes with it. Absolutely. Now, share with us a little bit more about how did you actually discover that the problem was emotional eating. I'm guessing that throughout all those 40 years, you must have tried every diet out there, right? And every diet actually worked for me while I did it. Of course it did. That's what I was going to say. I interviewed a few episodes ago, well, quite a few episodes ago, Dr. Livingston, and he's not only a psychologist and he worked with big food for a long time. So he's very familiar about how they make foods hyper palatable so that we buy more and do all these things. And he was tremendously overweight. And he realized as well that he just couldn't control himself. And one of the things was exactly that, which you're saying, right? But the thing is, we see it so often and every diet seems to work. There seems to be people who thrive on it. However, for many of us, it simply doesn't work, which means that it's not necessarily what we're putting in, but how our brain works into deciding how we want to consume those foods. Is this something kind of like along the lines of your experience or was yours completely different? Well, yes and no. I mean, yes, I figured out that my issue was emotional eating when every time I got upset or frustrated or sad or angry or whatever, I would go off my diet. I would go crawl in the refrigerator, you know, or go by and get, you know, another scoop of peanut butter or whatever. It was the way I soothed myself. Now, for me, it was interesting. You know, I came through the 90s and the whole low-fat era, and I actually lost my weight by the skin of my teeth on a low-fat, low-calorie, no-flavor diet. And I was tired, hungry, and cranky all the time, right? I'm sure you were. And two years later, I was still trying to maintain that, and it got to be such a struggle. And I ran across this metabolic test that you can take online. And I took it and it came back and it said, okay, you need more fat in your diet. I was like, fat, fat, we're not supposed to have fat. But I thought, okay, if that's what they say, I will follow their diet for a week. It can't hurt me. It's just a week. Well, I was already at my goal weight of 119 pounds and I lost two pounds that week eating cheese sauce and butter and bacon. I was like, I don't know what this is, but I'm not tired. I'm not hungry. and I'm certainly not cranky. That started me in a different direction. And even more, it kind of leveled out my moods so that I wasn't as volatile. I was born redheaded. So, you know, (laughs) bless me. So I wasn't as volatile. I wasn't as depressive because I had struggled a little bit, not clinically depressed, but I struggled with those dark, dark moods. And that just doesn't happen anymore. So I think so much of it is finding what works for your body. So let me get something straight. Before your 50th birthday, you decided you wanted to lose the weight and that was it and that was the end of it. And the diet that got you there was actually a very low calorie, low fat diet. Yes. And then after a while on that diet, about a year on that diet. Two years. Two years on that diet. Oh my God, you do have an iron will. (laughs) (laughs) After two years on that diet, you realized that, you know what, let's try something else. And that's when you started incorporating a little bit of fat. Yes. Okay, great. And then more and more. You know, that's something that a lot of people, especially those people who go into veganism, for instance, 
they start experiencing. And I had that as well. I'm a recovering vegan, I tell people. So I did that foolish thing for a little bit. And well, for a long bit, about two years as well. And yeah, it gets to a point at first you're feeling great because you're getting rid of the standard American diet. You're getting rid of a lot of processed foods. One of the great things about vegan diet, at least when it's done correctly, is that they do encourage whole foods, Mm -hmm. right? So you're eating the vegetables, you're eating unprocessed, you're eating all those things and not the crap vegan foods like those fake burgers and the fake everything that is just even worse processed than regular deli meats. So what starts happening is that you start feeling good because you're getting rid of all those extra sugars and additives and processed and whatnot. But then it gets to a point where you lack that fat. And our brains need that fat. Our nerves need that fat. We need to create hormones. We need to do all those things. And it's longer lasting fuel. So I had a similar, I'm not going to say as much because I wouldn't have lasted two years on low fat, but (laughs) I used to get hangry. You know, I needed to be constantly eating and I, if not, I'd get hungry and angry. And if not, I wouldn't be able to focus. I was tired and it was just a matter of adding a little bit more fat and that changed everything. A lot of people who are vegan, they start doing that and suddenly they start thriving, you know, and maybe you don't want to eat those people listening. Maybe they're vegan and they don't want to eat animals. That's fine, but still find ways to incorporate more fats, you know, coconuts and olive oils and olives and all those things. I don't think that the very low fat for long periods of time is sustainable or healthy. No, I would say it's not. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And now, I mean, you've kept it off and you mentioned that you're getting close to seven years now. Seven years in October, yeah. Wow. And what is your current diet, if there's a diet? I follow a kind of moderate protein, higher fat diet, very low carb, and it works well for me. It keeps me very happy, stable. I don't get hangry. I get hungry, but it's not like desperate hunger like it was on the low fat thing. I see. So is it closer to ketogenic diets? Yes. Yes. I focus on that. Okay, perfect. I feel the best when following a ketogenic diet. I feel the best when I'm actually in ketosis. It's not as simple as a lot of times people tend to think that it is to get into ketosis. But once you get there, I find it very sustainable. Now, what is, for instance, a typical day of eating for you? Because a lot of people ask that, like, yeah, sure, keto. And they think it's just stuffing your face with cheese and meat and and bacon, (laughs) right? So what is your typical day of eating? It depends. Sometimes I have like I don't drink coffee. I don't like coffee. I like tea. Okay. So I might have a fatty tea. If I know I'm going to be very busy in the morning, I may add an egg into that. And of course it gets cooked. So I'll have that or I'll have, you know, maybe bacon and eggs. Lunchtime, I may have some leftovers from the day before. Or if I haven't had eggs, then I'll probably have eggs because that's just the easiest thing, you know, midday. And then I have a meal with my husband in the evening. And that's usually some keto recipe. It may be a steak. It may just be chuck roast that has been cooked slowly, long, with maybe a little onion and garlic and pepper, tomato, that sort of thing, mushrooms. Or it may be just some recipe that I've found. But yeah, I mean, I try to eat, you know, within a window of fewer than 10 hours. Ah, that's the other thing. So that I give my body time to rest. Yeah. So you're also doing an intermittent fasting. Yeah, but it's not like heavy intermittent fasting. No, it's not intense. People think that it has to be super intense and you need to fast for like 20 hours a day, but not really. The thing is, if you're eating in a 10-hour window, mm-hmm. it means that you're not eating for 14 hours. Right, right. Now, eight of those hours, you're asleep. Yes. <laughs> so that's another thing, right? Now, sometimes, like if my husband's away, because my body clock is just kind of odd, 
I prefer eating breakfast and maybe a late lunch and then skipping the evening meal. So I might make that a six hour feeding window or whatever, but I maintain to my clients, do what works for your body, make it work for you because that's the only way it's going to work. Exactly. I could not agree more with you. And we were talking about that before we started recording about my chronotypes now that I'm here and how I am able to start my day later. And it is the same thing. So for instance, after I eat at around 2 or 3 p.m. before I come into the office, because I was just sharing that while I'm in Spain, I work from 4 p.m. until around midnight. I don't eat. I mean, I might have like I have some chocolate because instead of drinking caffeine, I just have a little square of dark chocolate. You know, it's almost 11 p.m. right now. And that's about it. But other than that, I had breakfast and I had lunch and then that's it. And just for clarification, the fatty tea that you talk about, that's pretty much kind of like the keto coffee, right? That you blend with butter. Yeah, I tend to do the MCT oil. Okay. And then about half a tablespoon of butter and then some collagen in there. Okay, good, good, good. And then I just mix it with my tea. Well, that sounds a lot like the Bulletproof diet. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. It's just that it's not their product, so it can't really be Bulletproof, if you know what Uh, I mean. Ah, yes, yes, I've heard that before. But in the end, you know, Dave Asprey, who made it popular, so now he has to live with that. It's like clinics. Yeah. <laughs> clinics cannot complain that everyone calls tissues clinics, even That's if they're right. not theirs, right? <laughs> so, you know, it's really, really surprising how many people all across the board that we're seeing have phenomenal results with this diet. And I think that part of the reason is that you're satiated. So it's not about willpower. And I'm not saying that the other diets don't work. I'm just saying that in order for them to work, you have to have that super strong will, which many of us don't have. Yeah. I mean, satiety is significant. And if you're not so hungry, then you save yourself a whole lot of calories. Just like if you're not eating for emotional reasons, you're not going to take in as many calories, but you're still satisfied. Exactly. Now tell me about that whole struggle with emotional eating, because one thing is to find a diet that is satiating and that you can really you know, stick to. But if you still have those emotional triggers, how do you cope with that? You have to find another way to soothe yourself. And that's the thing is that we are looking to food to soothe ourselves. And it comes from birth. And the thing is, when a baby cries, what do we do? We put something in their mouth. Of course. Right? It's either the pacifier or the breast or a bottle, but we put something in their mouths and it works. They stop crying. And unfortunately, we traded out our pacifier for a donut. And we keep putting something in our mouths to soothe us. And it's not like it's hard to overcome that. You just have to get the hang of it. And that's actually an acronym I teach my clients is getting the hang of it. And the H is, are you hungry? And if you are, you may need to eat. But if you're not, then the A is, what's the attraction to food for you? And the N is, what do you actually need? Because you may need a hug. Or you may need to have a little walk around the block or the office or whatever. There's something else that you need, but it's not food. And then the G is go, go get that. Because if you get that, it will soothe you more than food ever could. So it's figuring out, okay, how do I stop this very natural process of soothing myself and replace it with something else that will actually work? Because (laughs) if you put something in your mouth, the comfort lasts about as long as it takes to swallow. 
and then you want more. So it's finding what will actually soothe you in that moment. That's actually something that also happens, for instance, with smokers. And it's just a matter of they need to have something in their mouth, right? In order for them to kind of like feel at peace and suddenly they get anxious. And I've seen this in offices now that they start getting anxious and because you cannot smoke indoors, thankfully, they'll just stick a cigarette in their mouth and they're there with an unlit cigarette because it just suits them. And we do the exact same thing with food. You're absolutely right. That's why a lot of people gain weight after they give up smoking because they're still putting something in their mouth, Ah. but they just choose food instead of the cigarette. Well, I'd I'd argue that's healthier, but still. (laughs) (laughs) It is to a point. (laughs) Yeah, but that's a difficult trade-off, right? Yes, indeed. Indeed. Now, what about your husband? Does he follow the diet as well? Well, he doesn't have that much of a problem. So he follows pretty closely. He's probably just low-carb more than keto, but he eats what I serve him. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's easy then. And then if he wants something special, then he'll go get it differently. But I've learned to make so many things that are compliant with keto, like ice cream, which he loves, pizza, which he loves. So it works out for us. Good. Yeah. I've I've also started adopting, you know, my wife and I have been adopting a lot of different recipes, whether it's, you know, like an almond crust pizza or cauliflower. And those things I do have to say, since we moved away from the U.S., a lot of those things are harder to come by. So you cannot go to Whole Foods here and get a cauliflower crust pizza. And as a matter of fact, we went the other day to supermarket and just one cauliflower was like 450 euro. I'm like, what? Did they go pick it up in California or what? So it is shocking. And avocado, for instance, avocados here are like five euro a kilo. And it's just for those listening, a kilo is two pounds. So even in California, you get them cheaper. So, and me coming from Mexico, that's just curlages. You know, you you can probably get like five or 10 kilos for five euros. You need an avocado tree, dude. I know. I know. (laughs) It's just so difficult to get them. And they're starting to grow them and down further south. And some of them come from there, but still they're super expensive. A lot of these things and a lot of other things are just simply not available like MCT oils and things like that. They have to be imported or there's not that much variety. So sometimes it's harder to follow it, but then you also have on the other side of the coin, you have great olive oils. Mm, great olive oil. Well, do you get avocado oil at all? You do, but it's not, I mean, you don't get a lot of, like for cooking, we use just a little bit. And then we use you know, a lot of olive oil as dressing and there's a bunch of other things and some great fish, a lot of sardines and a lot of those things around here. So, you know, you, you have to adapt don't have exactly we miss a couple of things but we got some others so it's a good trade-off and we try not to spend a lot of time in the same place we'll probably be going back stateside in a couple of months so we just you know we adapt wherever we are and i think that's easier now i wanted to ask you as well once you realized that this was something that worked is that when you decided to also start working with people and coaching them through this or were you already doing coaching in some sort of form before that well i was already counseling But yes, if you've struggled with this for a long time, it's like finding gold in a field. You've got to share it because so many people struggle with this. And if we can unwind whatever it is that's driving them to food, then they can get free of it and their heart will heal. And how fantastic is that? So I just sort of shifted my practice a little bit. I mean, because so much of it is emotional. 
my counseling degree does come in handy, <laughs> <laughs> but it's the starting point. And the same is true for the opposite. Sorry that I interrupt you, but I've seen that a lot of, I mean, you're a family counselor, marriage counselor, and a lot of family, especially marriage issues, stem from weight and image disorders, either on one or both of the members of that couple, right? Yeah, so, absolutely. I mean, just helping them navigate through all of these is tremendously valuable, I guess. Yeah. And for those who don't have deep, dark issues, but just can't seem to stay accountable and stay on the plan, whatever plan they choose, then that's where the coaching comes in. And so, okay, I can help you stay accountable for this period of time. And that works well. And usually, you know, we still find something that is some pain that is driving the behavior. But that's what we've got to find is what is driving you to food? Because if we can unwind that, then you can be free. Yeah, of course. Now, in your experience working with people trying to lose weight and especially people who have tried so many diets before and nothing seems to work, what do you think are the most important challenges that keep getting in their way? Because I truly believe that we are the ones sabotaging ourselves and we don't do this on purpose. But what do you think are the most important self-sabotaging things that we do? Well, I think one thing is eating in front of the television because that helps you eat mindlessly. You don't even notice that you're eating really. And if you can bring it back to the table, you can focus on the food or the company. And that makes you pay more attention to the food that you've eaten. Years ago, I remember Oprah telling a story about going to France and she bought two croissants because she knew she would eat the first one really fast. And she wanted the second one so she could enjoy it. And I thought, how many calories could she save by just enjoying the first one? <laughs> right? So rather than sitting in front of the television to eat, go back to the table, put down a placemat or a tablecloth, lay your table in a nice fashion so that it is a pleasant place to eat. Even if you're single, it's important to sit down. If you really want that food that much, Give the food the same honor that you're giving your craving by sitting down, putting it on a plate, use cutlery, bring out the nice glasses, whatever it is. Focus on eating the food. And if you are eating because you're bored watching TV, I'm thinking you need something else to do. Wow, I couldn't agree more with you. This is something that I see how we've been even commoditizing the act of eating. And it's just something that we do because we have to, or because we feel like we have to, or like we must. And we eat breakfast because it's morning and we eat lunch because it's afternoon and we eat dinner because it's evening, right? And we're not aware that we're eating. We're mindlessly eating. I think back and even when I was single and I was eating alone or I was living alone, sorry, and you sit down for a meal and it's the same thing. The first thing you think is, okay, what am I going to listen to? And you play a podcast or you play an audiobook, or you pull out a book or you watch TV. And in reality, it's that we're not really paying attention to the food. And you just worded it beautifully in saying, pay the same respect to the meal than you're paying to your craving. And a lot of the times we don't do that. Well, most of the time we don't do that. We eat on autopilot. And we don't pay attention. We don't slow down enough to enjoy it. And if you're not going to slow down enough to enjoy the food, you may as well be eating celery because you get the same result. Exactly. Yeah. If you just want to chew, then you might as well just do it with celery, right? You're not going to notice it anyway. Swallow. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> exactly. Now, obviously, you know, you've lost the weight. You're probably much happier with yourself now with the way you look. And what other benefits have you seen across your life in general? Because one of the common things that I noticed people who lose weight that has been bugging them for many years, whether it's a little bit or a lot of weight, is that they see benefits across the board in different areas of their life. So being able to be in control of these emotional eating, all these cravings, what other benefits have you seen in your life from that? Confidence was a big one because you know it was a 40-year battle. And it was kind of like, if I can do that, what else do I want to do? Also, again, the mood stabilization was amazing for me because I had very dark moods at times and not having to worry about that. It also made me more positive. I was happier to go out and do things with friends, whereas before I might hide a lot. I still have to catch myself to avoid trying to be invisible because I think, oh, no, it's okay. This is all right. We can be out in front. It's fine. Last year, I actually did a TEDx talk, which was huge for me because I didn't think I was a speaker, but apparently I did pretty well. That's amazing. What was the title of your talk? Lose the weight and keep it off. Overcome emotional eating. Okay, great. I'll make sure to link that here in the episode notes and on the description and everything for people to see that. That's huge because one of the things that we see a lot of times people struggle with when they have weight issues and you know image issues in general is that is that feeling that they want to become invisible and they avoid social situations and they avoid being out in the spotlight and they avoid doing all these things because they're embarrassed. They're not happy with themselves. So suddenly you find that will, that desire, that drive to be out there and to really live your life, right? Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. Enjoy the life that you have. How can you make it even better? Wow. That's so great. And is this something that you've also been seeing with your clients? Yeah. As they lose the weight, it's almost like they wake up and think, oh, I can wear that. And it's usually, you know, age appropriate, but they find such joy in getting into a different size or getting to what a lot of them call wonderland, getting under 200 pounds. That's huge for, for many of them. And those who are, you know, it's a broad spectrum of weights, but even if they are only 30, 35 pounds overweight, it's, I don't want to say a weight has come off their shoulders because it's all over their body. But you can see them kind of straighten up and look around and think, ooh, huh, what else can I do? Yeah, exactly. I think it is that empowerment that suddenly realizing that, you know what, this is the one thing that I had been failing at for so many years, but no, I've got a grip on it. I'm handling it and I'm winning. And as we work through the various issues driving the food behavior, that's another element of getting their life back, letting their heart heal. And that's fantastic. Wow, that's so great. Now, before we wrap this episode up, normally I ask all of my guests to share a couple of pieces of actionable advice. And the keyword here is actionable. So it has to be something that the people listening to us right now, as soon as they arrive home and they finish listening to this episode, whether they're you know driving or listening at home maybe, that they can sit down and start applying. What would be your top two or three recommendations for them in order to start you know regaining that control over their emotional eating? One, make a rule for yourself. The way I got off sugar was to make a rule for myself. I only have sugar on Sundays because I was a sugar fiend. And 
Long about Wednesday, I was standing in my pantry, staring down the chocolate chips, saying, I only have sugar on Sundays. <laughs> but after about 10 days, I didn't have to do that anymore. So if you make a rule for yourself and stick with it, that can be really helpful for you. It may be, you know, the kitchen is closed after dinner. You don't go back in there, that kind of thing. One of my best tips is to set alarms on your phone. Now, through our discussion, you know, I'm coming up on 57. So I'm, I'm a little old when it comes to technology. And I didn't know that you could change when you're setting alarm on your phone, you can change the word alarm to something else, the label on it. So what I did was I started setting alarms throughout the day and it, they were, I changed the label to something that I needed to hear, something I was trying to assimilate into my thinking or just something I needed, you know, emotionally to hear. And they would go off throughout the day. And you know, these smartphones, you actually have to look at them and turn them off. Yes. Even if you're wearing a headset it still makes noise. If you've got it on silent, it still makes noise when that alarm goes off. So you are forced to look at that and read your label. And that, I tell you, it changed my heart in many ways because I was kind of cynical. And after two months of doing that, I was like, oh, okay. Changed my thinking, changed my life. What are some examples of the phrases that you put there? The one that goes off at 6 a.m. is walk in light of the vision. Okay. Right. The one that goes off at 539 in the evening is heal hearts, give life. So it just kind of keeps me focused on my mission in the world. And there are various other ones throughout the day. It could be, you know, a quote or it could be, you know, don't forget to love your husband <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> Send Michael a note, that kind of thing. But it's just stuff that helps me live my life better throughout the day. Exactly. Uh, I, I find it very surprising how we have all this technology, we have all these different tools available to us, and yet we don't find ways to use them as practically as something like this. You know, just a little reminder. And it doesn't have to do with eating, but you just said it. If you want to increase the love in your marriage, just add a reminder saying, you know what, remember to, and it doesn't sound sexy, doesn't sound romantic, it doesn't sound spontaneous, and it doesn't have to be. It just has to, you know, it is something that's important to you, so you might as well put it there. We have reminders for everything else. We have reminders for the big football game. We have reminders for the meetings that we have. We have reminders for a call that we need to make. Why don't we have reminders for things that are important in other areas of our life? Consistency is key. And I tell you, if I know Michael is thinking about me throughout the day at some point, it just makes me all giddy. So it's kind of worked for him in the same way, but more masculine, of course, but still, I mean, it can only enrich our marriage. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, I think part of the reason there is that we tend to think that all those things, like I said, have to be romantic and spontaneous and whatnot. And I learned that from my mentor. He said, you know what? It's the most unsexy thing you can ever imagine. But my wife and I, we schedule our dates. And we have a list of places where we want to go so that come Saturday, instead of us just defaulting and going back to work, we have a list of things that we want to do and we just choose one from the list and, and that's it. We're not spontaneous. We're not romantic and it works for us. So that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Anything that enriches your life. If we don't plan it, sometimes it doesn't happen. Yeah, for sure. 
For sure. So Rainy, this has been a wonderful, wonderful conversation. And I want to acknowledge you for not only taking the time out of your schedule to be here and share with us your story and your tools and your strategies and what's been working for you, but also for having that strength and the vulnerability to actually share your story and share your struggles and be open about them and help as many people you're helping. So thank you so much for doing that. Oh, of course. Got to share when you know, right? <laughs> of course, of course. And so people know, you know, you, you shared of what you're doing, how you help them. Where can people find out more about you? I have a website, packyourownbag.com. There's a book on Amazon called What's Really Eating You. And in fact, if I could offer your listeners a gift. Of course. I'm sure they're not going to say no to that. <laughs> at packyourownbag.com slash friends there's actually a video from one of my diy courses and it's on goal setting and getting to your best it's called the compass and if you want to watch the video go to packyourownbag.com slash friends oh that's perfect i'll make sure to link to all that in our show notes and for everyone listening you know how this works if you're listening as a podcast you just scroll to the podcast episode description you'll see the links there or you can just go to our show notes at dre.show and for those of you watching on youtube that's even simpler because everyone knows that you can find all the links in the description below so before we say goodbye I have one final question for you, and this is the most important one. Did you have a good time here on the Highwood Health Show? Yeah, it was good. Thank you. Awesome. That's what I like to hear. For everyone else, thank you once again for tuning in. You've been listening to Rainy Jones and Dr. E talk about emotional eating. I will see you here next week. Thank you for listening to Dr. E's Highway to Health Show, helping you learn the science of living ageless. Did you enjoy the show? Please like, share, and subscribe where you listen to podcasts. Dr. E wants to hear from you. Go to dre.show. Again, that's dre.show. Until next time, this is Dr. E's Highway to Health, helping you live ageless. So there you have it. I hope you enjoyed this episode. What was your favorite takeaway? Tag me on Instagram or connect with me on LinkedIn and let me know what you think. And by the way, remember that you can find the links to everything we've discussed in this episode in the show notes. You scroll down to this episode's description on your podcast app and tap on the appropriate link. And before you go, remember to check out podcastinabox.co for all your podcasting needs. If you're a busy entrepreneur looking to grow a personal brand and still trust in your clients, there is no better way to do it than with a podcast. To learn how the team at Podcast in a Box can help you do just that, simply head on over to podcastinabox.co and find out more. Oh, and if you already have a podcast but find it hard and time-consuming to keep up, they can help you with that as well. Seriously, they're amazing. Just head on over to podcastinabox.co and let them know that Dr. E sent you. That's it for today. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. You've been listening to Rene Jones and Dr. E talk about emotional eating and a ketogenic lifestyle. Thank you for tuning in. I'll see you here next week. And remember, you are on the highway to health and I'm your guide to get you there.